The information in this podcast is not intended to be used as the primary basis of investment decisions. Any forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ or other factors may change. Welcome to Making Sense, the podcast for anyone interested in diving into the investing and startup space. Hosted by us, Emma and Carmen. We are interns at Red Thread Ventures, an investment and advisory firm based in Vancouver. From interviews to startup advice, we will take you on our journey as we learn more about the finance industry. With that being said, let's get right into today's episode. Hi, everyone. We are very excited for today's episode. We have a special guest with us here today, Tanya Lowe. Tanya is the CEO and co-founder of Tandem Innovation Group, where she convenes a network of over 150 growth advisors, contracts, CFOs, COOs, and many more individuals, and connects them with startups and growing companies. Tanya is also the co-founder of the Venture Fund and is passionate about women-led entrepreneurship as well. So we're ready to dive into an entrepreneurial-focused conversation with Tanya here today. So with that being said, Tanya, how about you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what a typical day as a female serial entrepreneur looks like for you? Well, thanks for inviting me to have a chat with you both. It is full of amazing conversations. I cannot believe how many different conversations I get to have with different folks across the world these days. Um, And mostly focused on providing connections to people that um, I've come across in the past, uh, all in the name of what we're calling here venture building. Um, the idea that we all come with a lot of different experiences and perspectives. And sometimes those experience and perspectives joined with others can become some amazing magic sauce that becomes what we see as uh, interesting companies that uh, have, have kind of sprouted from putting those pieces together. And that, that's kind of my magic place. I like to connect people with the with other folks that are a good fit and enjoy each other's company and have this have a similar alignment in how they want to see the world and how their business can be a part of it so it's a a really fun job we we do a lot of matchmaking here and create a lot of magic so that's that's my typical day matchmaking I'm so exciting. Um, just going back a little bit, how did you kind of get involved in this? Uh, I know Carmen was mentioned you've been involved in uh, helping grow startups for a very long time now. Um, was that something that you were always doing, always looking at? Um, I got introduced to our, our, our good friend, uh, Sean, probably about four years ago. Before that, I was working, I had a, a company called Momentum Magazine, where we were this, the voice of people wanting to see themselves in media that weren't cyclists in Lycra. So everyday people riding in beautiful clothing and on the streets of all the big cities in North America. There was this need to tell that story. And the medium we had at that point was way back when we had print magazines. And um, in that time, I built that business and had to pivot it to become a digital entity. And in doing that, I learned and enjoyed raising capital to do that pivot. And when I did that, we, we saw a big change in the, in the ecosystem of, for publishers. And there really was really hard to compete in that space. And it just meant that it was time for that business model to change and the the architecture we had wasn't going to be able to change with it so we we turned it around and we are now a website that produces content um, and runs on a much smaller team but I took all that learning and applied it to businesses that were starting out the idea of growing growing an audience finding some traction and 
telling stories in a way that people could reflect and see themselves in. Um, that's when I was introduced to Sean. And we kind of both felt that businesses starting out get so much information thrown out of them. I don't know, you're four, four weeks here, probably you have so much great advice. What do you do with all that advice? When, how do you, how do, how do you decide what comes first? What's important to me? What's important to where I am right now? And how do I decide? Do I just like drink the fire hose and, and, and then parse it out? It's pretty difficult. So what we f- discovered was it was, it's really nice to have a trusted advisor kind of looking at what's happening in your business and approaching it as if it was also their business, like treating it with the love and care and the thoughtfulness as if they were a part of building it. And that changed how you would make decisions. And a lot of that has to do with having like very basic foundational pieces taken care of. That includes bookkeeping and things on compliance that are just, you can't get away from doing. They are hundred percent necessary, but you don't actually have to go so deep into it that it eats up all your resources and some, and I don't know, you're, John is probably the first person to say, let's do less accounting. Let's build more business. So that's what we do here. We, we, people come to us because they feel like they need accounting and we're able to say, yes, and you, ne- you only need this much right now. And what we, you do need is some finance strategy. So where we, we say like, we take a moment, a pause to share, you know, what you probably have in front of you is somebody who is an accountant that, uh, likely your tax accountant, the person that is, who's responsible for taking what happened in the past and sharing it back to the CRA to let them know what happened. Not much more to that than that. What often happens is that this is person or the CEO or founder is saying, well, my accountant's not really helping me understand my day-to-day. And that's uh, not exactly what they often are meant to do. Their, their business model is doing tax returns. And so they, they, they do many. And if they stop to go and do day-to-day work, well, that would be a totally different business model. But not many people know that when they go and start out, they're like an accountant. That's what they should do. They should help me run my business. They should tell me how much I should spend or not spend. And really like just identifying that that role is a role and might have too much, too much emphasis in what it can do with a startup. And so where we always say like accounting is about the past and finance is about the future. So you need both. However, it might not be the same person and it might not be the best use of one person's time to do all of it. So breaking it out into a mini team where you have a bookkeeper, um, a tax accountant and a hybrid potentially CFO, COO to help identify the opportunities that you're learning from bookkeeping to drive what what opportunities might be there you can learn so much from the data that you're seeing and if you tell the story in a way that is understandable by the ceo and by everybody else around you collectively you can move a lot faster because everybody's on the same page and everybody's reading the same story they're not reading something different into uh, what's actually happening so in a sense, we end up being translators between finance and accounting language and new startup entrepreneurs who have great passion for their product or their service or what they're trying to build out, but they might not have the language to tell that story to those that they, those folks that they want to be involved and want to build with them. And, and without that, they're, when you don't share a common language, you kind of lose out on your ability to move fast. And I love this analogy that I've received from a good friend of mine, um, Tierra Fraser, where we can move as fast as the speed of trust. So if we don't have trust amongst all of the people working together, we can't move very fast at all. We're actually going to go super slow. We're actually probably going to go backwards. So the idea of spending time to get to know each other and taking the time to translate for everybody so they're on the same page. And then you can move forward together um, at a faster pace. 
Yeah, it was great um, hearing kind of the vision and I love kind of getting to know how you and Sean kind of developed your partnership. It's really interesting to see how everyone kind of came together. But since you've been in the startup space for so long now, what kind of has been your favorite and least favorite part about working with startups like every day? I love working with startups because I am personally drawn to, and I think John and I have this same DNA here is like, we can't help ourselves. There's so many connections to be made. We've seen some shape or form of it before. And we can see very quickly how this different version of it has an amazing potential. And that spark is like, it's like perhaps you're building a house with Lego and you know all the pieces are here and you're like, okay, where's that piece? And that piece, I've seen it before, I built it before. I can pull out pull it all together and I can I can visualize what that looks like if we can get all the right pieces together that we've seen already and 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 put it towards this new idea and a way of doing it I, I think what for me I enjoy stick finding the spirit of why we're doing it and looking at all the challenges that don't allow us to get there so I would say like I'm always I uh, there's a, a word that we like to use called being an edge runner that means you're always uh, on the edge of the the field and just close enough to the edge to see what's on the other side without tipping over. But in order to do that, you have to have a really strong, strong community around you to allow you to do that. And, but it's, it's fascinating. You see so many new things that, that inform the, the ecosystem you are at and you can kind of pull it back and, 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 and share those findings. And I think the space that we're in, we're definitely sharing a lot of our tools and sharing our learnings. I am completely fascinated by the, tool, the, the function of finance as a tool to create what we need uh, to do to build these companies. And I'm fascinated by new architectures of finance. So we see across the board, very systematic, traditional ways of uh, finding capital. I'm a big champion of taking it just a little bit slower to identify and unveil that it isn't a really a, a fair playing field out there. It's really, um, if you already have money, you come from a lot of privilege, the potential for you to get more money tomorrow for a project is really simple. Like it's not very difficult at all. You have half a million dollars in the bank account. Tomorrow, the bank will, without a doubt, give you another half a million dollars based on just having it. But if you look at a lot of entrepreneurs out there, many of them may not come from privilege. You'll you'll often hear, you know, if there's not a, if if the founder doesn't have a friends and family around, I don't trust that I can invest with them. But if we said that out loud, then we're automatically discounting those who don't have rich friends and family. And how is that? that those ideas don't get to surface and we don't get to explore what those end up looking like. So taking that perspective, we're missing out on a ton of innovation just because it never gets to surface because it doesn't come with those, what we're normally used to seeing. And we'll see like the stats are that women-loved companies receive only 2% of all capital that is out there. That's atrocious. And that shouldn't be allowed. And what are we doing about it? It's really important that we identify those gates that are, are we naturally do all together. We all naturally, without thinking about it, we move a little too fast sometimes and we forget to ask the questions of, of like, what are our assumptions in making a decision and what goes, why, why are we asking these questions? What was the spirit of the question in the first place? If we get back to like the reason why we asked the question, is that still relevant? And, and have we asked that question and made it difficult for somebody for no good reason, right? I think what we're seeing in this world right now, there is a, an opportunity, a generational uh, wealth that is transferring from baby boomers. Like baby boomers have are a large part of our population, especially in, in developed countries. And I would say that there's a lot of it just locked up and sitting there, not doing anything. It can be put to good use. And the question is, what do we want to use it for? 
like what I, I think it's really important for all of us to intend intentionally ask ourselves what do we want our money to do for us what needs to be done in the world and there's not a lot of time tomorrow could be our day we don't know we don't know how long we'll last in this world can we sleep at night and did we do what we could needed to do to get capital that was not in use into the hands of folks that can do more with it than it just sitting there. Capital that is not in scarcity, but is just underutilized. Like just, it feels very wasteful to just not use capital, to be able to be in cycle, not to be wasted and like never seen again, but really in cycle, like put it into the system, let it grow, let it become something else, let it come back so that we have more capital. That feels like something that we all need to work towards with the the privilege we have of this language that we uh, share with finance as a tool. So those are kind of things I think about all the time. I'm like, okay, when are we raise capital for companies, when we're looking at companies, who else is looking at how, what the gender makeup looks like of the cap table? If we go fast and we take money, yes, money is great. Yes, we need it. But if we don't take the time to make sure that when this company goes to raise more money, that we have diluted the 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 diversity of the founding team then we're doing a little bit of disservice for our future uh, and we're probably gonna say i see the same outcomes we've seen in the last 40 years there will be no change and that seems kind of silly to waste your time on also so those are kind of some of the theses that come with and i try to i try to make sure we spend time talking about it because they can be icky and they can be conversations that are difficult. But we also say at Tandem, if, be ready to feel uncomfortable because if you're not uncomfortable, you're probably not seeing a lot of really interesting things. And those without privilege are always uncomfortable. So like, let's, let's all do this together and let's understand what it feels like because that's when we get some really cool connections. This innovation comes from necessity. And when you're uncomfortable, that's where you, you have that innovation come through. So I would say like, there's very little innovation that happens when you're super comfortable. You don't really need anything. So why, what, what, what you might innovate in a place that's not necessary. So those are, there. Those are really interesting places to think about when we are in a place where sometimes we're looking for a job and we're looking to just pay the bills and build our personal equity. I think it's easy for people to not stop and think about that because it hasn't affected them. And so my role here is to give that opportunity for those conversations to happen. And we have such a, an amazing opportunity at the moment of financing to change what people, how people arrive at their next step like if it's like it's a they're passing through they're raising money what if right at this moment they get to see what they can ask themselves what it looks like if we asked you know why don't we care what the cap table looks like why don't we care that it's very gender imbalanced further down the road in larger corporations why do we not care that more money isn't being managed by women. I'm not asking for all of it. I'm just asking for more than 2%. And that should be pretty valid. And uh, I think we could see some really amazing things happen in the world if we put some energy there to, to make that make that shift. Yeah, well, the, the, the what you were saying about privilege, like that really resonated with me as well. Um, just because like, I recognize that I am so lucky to even have this internship in the first place. Because um, I, I do come from a position here um, of a little bit more privilege than maybe what other people are um, subjected to. So, and actually one of the main reasons why I got into business in the first place, um, uh, right before COVID started, I was at a women in leadership conference in Vancouver, um, the art of leadership. And I had the opportunity to listen to so many um, uh, women who are in executive roles at these big companies talking about how for the longest time, they're the only ones in the room. And that bugged me, like, even as a 17 year old I was like this this shouldn't be happening right. right now <laughs> yes it's so that's something that I am <laughs> yes yeah. and so ever since then I was like hey this is something that I'm passionate about as well 
Um, I just am a little bit curious how you've talked a lot about Sean um, and your relationship together. I'm curious to see how your experiences growing this business has differed maybe from his as a white male um, person, because even though you were going on this journey together, I, I, I know that there's been so many differences on the two of your passes. Oh, yeah. I think it comes down to we're both super open to having a conversation about what that looks like. I think we're a pair and that maybe like we acknowledge like the space that we're in has a lot of constraints in time. Like, and that constraint in time can create um, time apart. It's like any relationship at all. You need to make time to make sure you're evolving at the same pace. And a business evolves like constantly. And so there's just a real necessity also to be on the same page and check in and have ways to know that we're all learning new things really quickly. Sean and I probably are both sponges in terms of like, I like, oh, I just learned something new. Oh, another, another new concept, right? And, but those inform that next person that is you. So I'm not the same person I was yesterday, nor was I the same person I was a quarter ago or four years ago. And, and Sean as well. And, and, and you both will have be a completely different person. Not, I would say completely, but you will have, will have evolved because of your experiences and what you see. And that doesn't always mean that the person next to you that you are working with has evolved at the same time. You, you need to make space and time to have those conversations and evolve together. And, and know that those times that you evolve, they might not always go in the same direction, but you have to be in a place where you can have a constructive conversation about, you know, is this the same architecture anymore? Does it need to change? Does it need to have a different home? Does it have, need to have a different shape? And being open to that. So I would say like, it's, it's constantly changing, especially in 2021. Like so many things are more important today than they were yesterday. So we become more attuned to what's more important to talk about. We've had COVID, which showed a lot of systems that um, were broken and a lot of systems that made things more difficult for, for specific demographics and much easier for other demographics. We're seeing the need for us to be conscious about our decisions in the makeup of our organization. And we have to stop just waiting for things to change. We actually have to do something about it. Like we actually, I spend a lot of time with the tandem team ensuring that everybody we bring in, like let's not bring anybody in unless we are seeing where our um, diversity splits are, our gender splits are. Are we making decisions on timing of meetings so that they're welcoming to everyone that may or may not be able to come or show up? I, I think I'm just particularly attuned to that because you come from what you know and see. And in this space, we can go really fast and we can miss those things. Um, and so there's that balance. I think we have that kind of good balance of like, I'm probably one of the most open people to ideas. And because there's no way I know everything, you know, and I think there's, I love the idea uh, this comes from uh, design thinking. So um, in the space when, where, where people are designing product, they, they use the process of design thinking. I'm sure you guys used a lot of design thinking in your last years of class work. And the idea that if we just come in a moment of openness and like let it all out, um, and share the diversity of ideas without holding back before we make a decision, then we can at least be open to new things that, that didn't come naturally to us. And there's this fantastic opportunity to mash them all up. You know, I'm a big fan of like this and this, like put them together. That's something even better than we could have thought of on our own. And just using that process as a way of being open to ideas and um, open to like, if we talk, I think it could be even better like than I originally thought of. And so I think that's probably what drives us to keep working together because we both have similarly such different, different ecosystems that we play in. And when they cross over, they can be really awesome. Like they, they can really do some amazing amplification. And just, I think uh, 
I think we both see the opportunities there because we because uh, they are just very very vastly different. Uh, you were mentioning the two different ecosystems you play in, and then also earlier uh, re the redistribution of capital. Um, I know one thing that you're involved in is the CEO network. I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit more about that, your involvement there, and what they're doing to make changes in that aspect. So a lot of things kind of happen at the same time. And when I met Sean, I also met Abi Alink. Of the, of the linker. We were introduced by the same person, Body Foley Wong. The Body Foley Wong, she um, is one of my um, old dear friends and mentors. Um, and she runs a, a fund called Peak Ventures. And um, she's like, oh, you need to meet Sean Hodgins. He's the most entrepreneurial CPA I know. And then she's like, you need to meet B. Alink. I'm looking at her company and potentially looking at um, investing in it. But I'm not sure if they're ready yet um so i met b and i met sean literally within a week of each other b became my first client in this in this role of, of venture building of being a contract cfo coo for startups and b and i for our first real activity together was applying to be a ceo venture so she was in the second year uh, at that point and ceo set out to um unlock women-led ventures that were working on the world to do this um, and democratizing the way they they have access to capital um, and through so CEO how CEO works is women every year donate a thousand one hundred dollars and I wouldn't say it's a donation anymore it's more of like it's a membership because they provide so much amazing programming and connections and networking with your thousand one hundred. It's like the most well used thousand one hundred dollars possible in a year to connect with great resources and people um, and ideas sharing. So what happens is entrepreneurs they apply. They only have I think a set of seven to ten questions, which is much shorter than most applications for financing. When you go and when you go to look for financing, the questions can go on ad nauseum for a long, long time and like. You're like, why am I filling out a dissertation to apply for financing? Like, I might as well wait tables to get this money because it's going to be faster in tips than it is as, as if, if I were going to go through this process. It's not as, and so they set out to change what that looked like and also have democracy of the activators. So they call the members activators uh, to be able to choose which companies get a 0% loan. And at an early stage in a company, a 0% loan means it's not taking money out of your resources to pay interest. And you have time and room to test out your processes to grow your company. So basically you have a video and you share with the activators, the activators vote. Usually there's about a hundred plus applicants and they choose five applicants to win the 0%, about a hundred thousand dollars. Um, loan to be paid back over five years. And so B was the winner, uh, one of the five winners in 2016. And that started our journey with CEO. And I saw what, how amazing it was, the support systems, like the amount of PR B was able to get, the amount of connections that uh, she was able to be in touch with and the resources. And I, and I would, and I was just, just amazed by like how we got from, you know, when we applied and and the Alinker is doing probably a, a little less of under $150,000 in revenue uh, to this year, year three. After that, year four. We, we've had two years of, of reaching $3 million in revenue and, and, and being a profitable company. What the Alinker does is it, it provides a mobility device for people with mobility challenges. And through CEO, we were able to just have the support that when you're starting a company, a, a startup specifically, you don't have a market that is available to yet, you yet. You're doing a lot of marketing. You're doing a lot of teaching of like, what is this? People are like, do I trust you? Do I, do I trust you enough to pay that much money? And so we worked on that a lot. Um, and, and Shio was there to support the idea of like, you know, this needs to happen. People with mobility challenges should have the agency and the ability to stay active. And um, this product of like is 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 a game changer for those who who are don't have a choice in their mobility. If you don't have a choice in your mobility, should you only have the choice to be wheeled around in a wheelchair? 
should you only have the choice to be looked out at because you're 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 holding a walker and um, there is a stigma around that no you should have the ability to have eye to eye contact with people and talk to them like a human and also have the ability to keep strengthening your muscles and, and creating the movement you need to stay active and healthy and so there was no brainer that this product needed to hit market and it needed to reach the people it needed to reach amazing story about how we were able to connect people with the product without not not always selling directly to them because they couldn't always afford it. So that was taken up by a celebrity ambassador and it was just a most heartwarming story about like people caring about this demographic of people. And that's 20% of the world will have a mobility issue that we may or may not see because it's not usually a visible disease that we might, that causes these challenges. So super interesting that what 20% of people don't have access to mobility when they need it. Uh, So with CEO, that was year one. Year two, I was able to support Nada Grocery through my connection with Spring. Um, So Keith Ippel started Spring with Bonnie Foley Wong and the two of the, I stayed very closely in touch and um, I would be very aware of the companies that Spring was supporting. And Nada was one of those companies I supported Nada in the early days of figuring out how to open up their store, how to have enough cash to float the inventory and close up on construction. And then the CEO opportunity came up and she was like, and I helped her complete the, the form, uh, the financials parts of the form. And she was a winner again in um, 2017. So I just saw this, this space that we were really good at, um, which was just knowing what was needed lightly for these companies to have what they need to be able to access funding. And so that was a really great foray into CEO, but it was really B who, who led the charge and just saw how amazing Tandem was as a partner for her. And I wanted to share that with other CEO sisters. And I had a really strong relationship with the woman, the, 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 the founders of Isle also another Vancouver company. We were able to place Jazz there as their CFO and support them in their capital raise. And in the time of COVID, we were the only ones that, you know, were actively showing up to help support ventures understand how much, how to manage their cash flow with things changing with COVID. Like all of a sudden their supply stopped or all of a sudden they couldn't sell anymore. And or how do I apply for government um, subsidies without my finances in order? Like a lot of it required having those compliance pieces ready to submit, to be able to be eligible for the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy and the the Canada Emergency Bank account. Um, Those things were not accessible to them unless they had support on the finance level. And so we, I stepped in with our team at Tando to provide connections and, and just some, some light support to, to make sure that everybody had what they need to be able to apply for these and go forward. And so we were in such good relationship. We were able to support, you know, my experience with, with B was with, at the linker was just being that translator and that partner to pull out what was actually the business models pull out how to become sustainable and have that agency of revenue of having agency of your own capital so that when you go to look for capital and it takes a long time because they ask a whole ton of questions and they hold a lot of power. I mean, there's a lot of power dynamics with people lending money, people investing money. There's tons of power dynamics. And CHEO is really about like, there's more power if we can have power with our ventures. If we can let go of our need for certain things to, to look the same way that we've always seen them, we might open ourselves up to something even more interesting than what we have ever seen before. Uh, we're not asking anyone to provide more than they can. Like, and it's the idea of leaning into abundance and not scarcity, and that there is enough out there. We can just see how much is out there there's no reason we can't find it if we have the right connections and if we um, collectively use our networks and find and and connect people with what they need 
and it doesn't always have to look the way it looked like before. And so she is a really fantastic place for us to have those conversations that often keep many startups stagnating and keep startups from flourishing because their doors are always shut, the gates are always closed because people are used to seeing and things in a certain way. Um, and so she owes that home for all of us who are like, there's gotta be a better way. And this can't be where it stops. Like we as a community wanna see these things happen. There, there is a need for more zero waste grocery stores in the world. There is a, a need for like non-wasteful uh, menstrual products. There is a need for care, uh, care at, at cost. And, and these companies are what are showing up at GEO. And so that was kind of the reason why we, as a collective, looked at building a follow-on fund because we saw, you know, how hard it was for companies. So you guys have been working a lot on the red thread, new ventures that come through the pitches. Well, those pitches are often early, early on, like these companies haven't even been formed yet. And so what happens when companies are haven't been formed yet and they go to raise capital first? Well, it's very inexpensive. Like, if these companies do well, you got a fantastic deal. You just got like, you just bought in so, so inexpensively. But what happens is that messes up the potential. People get used to that. They're like, I want a good deal. Like, I'm only gonna buy if it's on sale kind of, kind of space. What happens if that sale means that, um, that you know, what else, something else you're buying costs way more? And we do choose to not buy the other thing, even though it's necessary? Probably not, but now it costs you more because, because they made a sale on the other piece. You've messed up your own um, relationship with your mental uh, connection with that cost. What's happening, what happens too often, and not all the time, but you get used to buy, you get used to investing cheap. Like you get used to investing at a great deal. And who doesn't like a great deal? Everyone loves a great deal. And, and, and nor should you not have a great deal from time to time, but it just can't be all the time, right? This has, there has to be a balance in the portfolio. There has to be some space there. And so what makes it hard for companies that are further along, that are more baked and are, are not this huge risk, but still risky, they cost more, you know, their investment costs more. And there are very few investors looking to to invest at that later stage, but only because the trend is not to do it. Like the trend is to, uh, and on the angel space is to get a really great deal early, early on. And, and one of 20 will do well. And what if, what if you only invest in three companies and two of three do well, or three of three just continue and you get your money back? You know, like what if, what if the win isn't so big, but everybody actually thrives? Those are, those are conversations that don't happen because nobody has time to have them. Those are conversations uh, where we have like a million incubators and investment clubs across the globe and they fit into this pre-seed stage. And then there's this big gap between, before like a series A and the VC space where, where they're taking it and, 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 and expanding and commercializing at a, at a very, uh, at, a, at the next level. So what about all those companies that need a little bit of capital just to get to that point? Are we leaving them to kind of fizzle out because it takes them two years to find financing? Or are we gonna support them so that they can actually get to the next level and, and, and take that next leap? I think we are causing companies to take too much time to find financing just because they are a little, they're not, they're not the cheapest bet. They're a better bet, but more expensive. So there just needs to be different vehicles for it. They don't have to all look the same. Um, and so that's why we created the Venture Fund, something a little different with asking, asking activators who have already committed their thousand dollars to create, to get these companies to where they are at. So how horrible would it be to leave, leave it at that, you know, and then not support them in their next challenge, which is like growing to get to a place that they can expand um, globally and, and be able to create more impact and GEO's world, work on the world's to-do list, which is another acronym for working on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So that's a little bit of the story about GEO and the Vendor Fund and how it came about. 
and how all these pieces are tied together. They are all one of the other. And the Venture Fund has so many elements of Red Thread Ventures that are part of it. So I would say like the Venture Fund wouldn't have been created without the Red Thread Ventures as a, as a, a different architecture and shape that could inform how we can look at investing in a different way, how we can bring community together to invest together and, um, and how we can support these ventures by having reducing the risk uh, profile that they may have through these relationships, these long-term relationships we have with these ventures. Like that's a big piece of it is knowing it's that speed of trust moment again, like having been with these companies over the years from the minute they made, they took a $100,000 interest free loan, and having them pay it all the way back and seeing them into the next stage. You know that person, you know what they are capable of doing and what they, what they say, where their vision is. It is not a brand new company you're hearing at a pitch for the very first time. You're actually, you know, in, 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 in a similar way, how Red Thread Venture seeds a CFO in the relationship, it's very similar in that there's a relationship there. So it makes investment a different risk of profile. So I think that there's a, so much connection there and there's so much that we're creating at the same time together. Yeah, for us, um, it's been interesting working in like a web of like different networks, like how RTV is so closely tied to Tandem and then there's SHEO and we've heard nothing but good things about SHEO and we actually attended the spring activator like finale and that was really interesting to see so many uh different pitches so you mentioned nada and isle and how much you like those companies i actually got to see the nada storefront and it was really interesting to see like a company we were talking about in real life but can you tell us about a story whether or not it be nada or isle or another company um just a company you worked with that was particularly memorable and what were kind of your biggest learnings that you pulled from working with these companies I mean Nada is a fantastic story because Brie is a an amazing entrepreneur um in that like she never leaves one leaf uh, unturned like she will turn over every single leaf out there and make sure that uh she she has taken the whole landscape and and searched far and wide for all the possible resources out there and uh I mean that's what you do when you're in need like you just go and do that um and what happens is it surfaces amazing relationships and amazing people that you can connect with um uh just going through that journey of doing it it's not really Yes, you went about it because you were seeking a certain piece of information or a certain piece of resource. But what happens is you are you you meet a lot of people and you you gain a lot of friendships along the way and a lot of really deep relationships. Um, Nada is is a byproduct of Bree and her team's tenacity to actually bring it to fruition and learn as fast as you can learn everything you can possibly learn along the way and, and really be open to things you don't know about and, and, and new ways of, of creating. Nada has, is, is changing the landscape of how products come to uh, reach their customers, like in the shape that they come in, like who thinks about packaging and, um, in a, and, and not having it, right? And what does that look like? And how do, so how do we, how do we market then? How do we get that places? It's, it's definitely, I mean, it goes back to old markets, right? Markets don't, you usually show up at a market and, um, and there's no packaging. You come with your own bag uh, or your own basket or, um, and, and there isn't much waste. And somewhere along the li lines, we developed this culture of packaging everything and, and, and creating more problems for ourselves. Like, I worked at a company at one time where um, I was in charge of production of the garment and we were choosing hang tags, you know, the descriptor of the, of the fabric and the product. And like, it's this marketing piece. And I just, it just killed me that it was like attached by plastic and attached to like a filmed piece of paper that you couldn't recycle. And like, it takes people time to uh, detach it. You gotta like decide what do I do with this garbage and this one piece that I recycle. Why do we do that to ourselves? Like, what's the point? 
we could have done it in a different way where we didn't create extra waste. Like the idea that we don't capture waste as a cost to society and a cost to building, it's, it's just, it's just, it's such a waste for our, our own futures. Like we can do it better if we just thoughtfully thought about it and just, and I don't think anybody really, I don't think enough people think about that in like, it's an easy decision to make if you thought about it to do it differently and just create less waste in, in the process. And so NADA and what they're doing is like mapping new ways of, of product to customer. It's like muscle memory. If you do it, people will start to practice it and, and model it. Um, and, and I know it can't happen overnight. It ha- has to happen in stages. And so like this way of, of receiving food and helping me in my everyday like consumption of my food and not having me need to have waste it's it's kind of amazing and why doesn't it happen more I don't know like so like it just needs to happen and Brie is going to make it happen and a lot of it is the tenacity of turning over all the leaves and making sure that everybody hears it and like and, and really just asking everybody like what do we need in the future and you know can we support this to get there because this type of supply chain this distribution way is something that can have can operate um, in a translocal way so i think we're moving from a globalization idea to translocal economies where supply chain is close to home and it's not disrupted by covid it's actually it's actually more relevant in times of COVID. It's close to you. It's available to you. We should never have these moments where, you know, something shocks our world and food becomes a scarcity. That should never, ever happen to us ever. And we don't, we can rebuild old ways to make sure that that's not a problem for us in the future. And that that should be everywhere. That should be ubiquitous. And that that is something um, across the world that everybody can relearn um, and and be a part of. So that's going to be an amazing company in in the future. And yeah, it, it really probably just takes a moment to think about it. Like, because we're all used to buying groceries and uh, not everybody's uh, really thoughtful about like, you take it home and then you put something in the garbage before you, you, you use it. Um, so that just that mechanism of I don't know. I think folks that are younger see it more because you see like, what have we done to our future? Like how much cleanup do we need to do in order to like see a future for ourselves? Like, it's not fair that, that uh, we have, we like, we lived in this abundant space for so long and didn't, didn't think about what this means. And so the idea that um, we can do there's totally enough money in the world. If you if you read a pitch book every day or a crunch base every day, you can see how much capital is going to whatever out there. There's some really great things that it's going to. And there's a lot of like, hmm, is that really necessary today? Like, so I totally believe there's definitely enough money to fund the things that we need to fund. We just have to be thoughtful about like our the diversifying where money goes. Um, and being thoughtful about it, about like getting a deal sometimes, not all the time, and 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 what that does for the the whole ecosystem because we can, we have the power to do a lot more, um, and we're in a space to be able to do a lot more with it. I don't know. Some might say radical. I would might say hyper necessary thoughts in in the space. Yeah, definitely. I think Nada is really such a great story. Um, but so far we've heard a lot of a lot of highlights surrounding entrepreneurship and working with startups. And as we know, business is not all rainbows and sunshines. So in what has kind of been a big challenge that you've faced before that you had to kind of overcome to get to where you are today? Or do you have a really significant failure story? And how did you, what did you learn from that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're only a great entrepreneur if you've failed a few times and learned, made a, had a lot of lessons learned. So um, I would say like in what we do at Tandem, the best entrepreneurs are second time entrepreneurs that have like seen the value of, see, seen what they, they experience and 
could have only known through that experience. So bad experiences can be can be catalyzing for a redo the next time around or a like just um, more mature um, data points for decision making later on. When I ran Momentum Magazine with my partners. It was my first time running a business from start to finish um, or start to wherever it got to. I think I held back a lot on the, I, I would say this might also be like a trait for women is we tend to be better at deeper listening because deeper listening is a skill that is, um, I would say, learnable by everyone but sometimes comes more um sometimes not all the time sometimes comes more um intuitively to women which is listening a little longer before speaking up and forming your opinion from many data points before speaking up and that can sometimes mean that you don't get heard or you get looked at as being quiet and with nothing to share and sometimes that like, it's often like the first person that puts their hand up will get an answer, right? Whether it's a good one or not a bad one. And, and so I have learned to make room and facilitate room for voices that don't generally speak up first to make that a place where people have that opportunity um, to feel safe and in and to to be able to share their ideas sooner than they might have because if we don't share those ideas then they don't get to be a part of that awesome mashup you know we don't hear from everybody we miss out on it and if we don't take the time to facilitate space for that then you know waste wasted time and connections of of uh, of things so I'm, I'm i'm a big i think what i've learned from my early days has been like make room for everyone to have uh, be able to speak up and share their ideas because that's where cool ideas are like um, those are those are the ones we haven't heard yet we've heard the other ones for sure in some shape or form these are the gems that need to be uh, unturned uh, discovered I think that was one of the things I learned from from running momentum I really should have I don't know maybe it sounds like I speak a lot about the underutilized innovation from women. I was in an industry full of men in the bike industry for eight years. Everywhere I turned, my partners and I were the only females left, right in front of us. It was great because we always stuck out. You know, like you could, like in, in marketing, all you want to do is stick out, right? You really want to be that one. You don't want to mix into the crowd. So that worked for in our favor a lot. But conversations about like how to do things, what new products should be out there, were we didn't ever have the majority of, of voices to push that as a market that was viable, right? So we actually had to go and create, I think my favorite thing we did at Momentum was first founder and I, we walked around a trade show booth and we asked every single person that ran their booth, what does cycling for transportation mean to you? And all of them were like, we're in the bike industry, but they're like, I don't really ride my bike to work. Like, I was like, well, I don't, okay, there's a huge disconnect here, huge disconnect, you, you are in the bike industry, and you don't use bikes for transportation, and it was a, a little bit of a light bulb for all, and they're like, I, it's not that I don't want to, but I live really far from where I work, and so it was this, like, new, new questions that came about, and that's why Momentum Magazine existed, because there was such a need for that conversation, like, we need to make room for safe places to bike, so that biking to work shouldn't be a back of mind thing it should be a front of mind thing and what we did with momentum is we created budget lines for companies to spend marketing dollars on urban cycling products and uh, advocacy and communications I think that was probably one of my highlights of my career there was like we created a budget line item in most people's like, marketing spends for that space and I was like if we hadn't done that in that like how much longer until people started making room and spending money there right even if they're spending, spending it with Facebook and Google I don't care like at least they're spending money talking to people that need to be that are looking to be talked to like looking for those products and services 
And so I look at that. That's what we're doing all the time. We're making new pathways of, of how to do business. And we're making new pathways of like what, what a normal day looks like. We're making new pathways of like how business, um, how business can be done. And I think like, if you look at it in a neurological way, like a very nerdy science way, that's what we do here is we create new pathways that, um, that have been lost perhaps, not that they haven't existed in the past or they've just never been uncovered. Um, and so I think that's why I'm here. And that's what we're here to do is create new pathways for finance to connect with entrepreneurs that have probably not been looked at uh, in, a fair, in a fair way because of our traditional systems that we exist in. What an innovative way to look at that. Um, we actually just have one last question for you today. Yeah, sure. Uh, this is something that we ask all of our guests at the end, just because we are getting into this um, industry. Uh, we were wondering what are some resources that you would be uh, willing to recommend to either beginner entrepreneurs, uh, people who are looking into going into the finance industry, either books, podcasts, websites, anything that maybe helped you along the way? Oh, my favorite book, my favorite book of all time is D. Hawk's um, book, and the book is called The Age of Chaotic Design, and it's, I think that's what it's called, those words exist, chaotic uh, design is in there, but that book and D. Hawk's story about how he created Visa and what he set out to do, and how it didn't quite get out to be exactly what he did, but he took on a giant project the idea of connecting global systems to be able to talk to each other, global banking systems to talk to each other. And the way he did it and the process he shares is fascinating. It, it allows you to kind of relearn that everything doesn't need to be packaged in a project package. It means try things and organization will emerge if we collectively know where we're going together and we check in on it. And, 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 and make sure that we are, we haven't jumped too far forward, but everybody is working towards the same similar path. And that's how we can do big things in this world. Um, and in, in that fashion, I love that book. Um, it's one of my favorite, favorite books. Tapping into uh, on my favorite, uh, there's a book called Make Light Work by Kate Sutherland. Um, the newer version is called We Can Do This, but I really like the first version even more. Um, and it really talks about um, somatic references. Uh, so you, and it's, it's the same idea of these neural pathways of, of doing things. But we've done things for a long time. If we can remember what it feels like to do a great thing, we can make decisions a little bit faster by remembering to ask ourselves how it feels when we make a decision. And there's just so many great ways to connect with people in that way, in terms of taking that, taking a moment to reflect that it's just not what I'm talking to you about. It's actually about the feeling we have of trust or of conversation that we can have a conversation. Like if we have a very cold conversation, we're not gonna talk to each other again. And we might not, like I might say something and it will definitely not connect with you because it's a cold um, experience and it's reminding us something that we've experienced in our past. And that experience in the past really informs how we take in information today. And so understanding that will help us understand other people, um, different diverse backgrounds in doing business. Like we might not understand each other because we don't have the same past life. And uh, so our bodies will react differently to information. We will hear things differently. We will feel things differently. And it might take a different or more time together before we feel comfortable accepting each other's words and, and doing anything with it. So those are uh, those are amazing skills that have been shared through some of these books. So I would I would say look into somatic leadership. It's really interesting, and and I, I think bringing science together with what we do at, uh, in, in our everyday lives. Well, I broke down both of those titles, so I'm definitely going to look into reading them, and I hope some other people who are listening to this um, take your advice and check these out for themselves as well. Um, I just wanted to thank you again so much today uh, for meeting with us. It was really, really nice getting to know you and your story and how you got to where you are today. 
I know I personally learned so much from you as someone who is interested in the entrepreneur entrepreneurial space as well. These stories really just excite me and how you're making this path towards venture building just so much more accessible for everyone. Thanks for taking the time to ask those questions. And you guys have a different um, experience and a different generation to bring to entrepreneurship. And I would encourage you to just be voiceful of, of what comes to you when when you see pitches, for example, and how they affect you because what you experience is important. And um, and if we, if we can have the opportunity to tap into different generational and diverse voices, the outcome will be so much better. Yeah, 100%. That's one thing we were talking about even earlier today. Um, a lot of people think of diversity as what um, gender we are, what um, race we are, but sometimes we forget to think age is a big factor in this as well. Um, yeah. So, so thank you again. Um, I also want to thank uh, everyone for tuning in to today's episode of Making Sense. Um, we hope you loved hearing Tanya's story about her experiences in entrepreneurship and that you're able to pull some lessons and ideas from our talk today. As usual, make sure that you're following Red Thread Ventures on LinkedIn to stay up to date with all of our announcements and subscribe to following our YouTube, Spotify channels, or whatever platforms you use to stream podcasts. Next week, we'll be back with more guest interviews and we can't wait to see you all then. Thank you.